Welcome to Golf Better Red, Edwin Watts Golf, episode 154. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Brussell. Thanks so much for joining us. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time subscriber or in the middle somewhere, either way, we don't care. We're just glad you found us. And today is a very special day. We have a very special guest with us. On the heels of our recent tribute episode with Mr. Ken Venturi, this gentleman has spent many an hour with Kenny up in the uh, tower on 18. Yes, he he's the one who brings us CBS Golf to our living rooms along with the NFL and NCAA basketball, one of the true gentlemen in the business, uh, courtesy of our friends at Titleist Golf, Mr. Jim Nance. And as Mr. Venturi might say, Jimmy, it's great to have you with us. Well, thank you for that, Tom. Thank you for that introduction. Thank you for channeling uh, Kenny Venturi there for a moment. Um, I, I miss my dear friend. It's been a it's been a tough couple of weeks for sure. And you did an absolutely fantastic job at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Of course, Kenny was still with us then, but uh, uh, I don't know how you held it together. You did a fantastic job. Well, I stood on that stage absolutely convinced that he was going to be back in 2014 and deliver a speech of a lifetime. He was a riveting speaker, the best I've ever seen at holding an audience, standing ovation every time without fail. So the prognosis was good. I mean, I even said to people, he'll be back next year. And, uh, you know, as it would turn out, 11 days later, he was, he was gone. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it was tough, and it was a sad moment in golf. But let's, uh, let's turn the clock back a little bit. The story of you and Freddie and Blaine McAllister rooming together down at Houston, I think a lot of people know about that. But share with us how you got there. I mean, you started playing this game somehow, somewhere, and how did you get involved in golf, and how did you end up making it to that powerhouse of the University of Houston? Well, I'll give you a Cliff Notes version. Born in, born in uh, golf-crazy North Carolina, my parents were golfers, introduced to the game, a way of life. Uh, my dad hopscotched around the country getting promoted in the corporate world, eventually landing in the New York area where I worked for a golf professional, Tony Bruno, at, at Battleground Country Club in Freehold, New Jersey. So I worked for five summers, picking up the driving range, cleaning golf clubs, making sure the carts were charged, you know, running bags up from the parking lot, putting them back in the trunk, helping out in the pro shop, all the while playing uh, in a lot of competitive tournaments around the state of New Jersey. I didn't set the world on fire, Tom, but I, you know, I did pretty well. I was the captain of my high school team for the last three years and was a varsity player for four years, did well in the Jersey Shore uh, events. And uh, just a, a twist of fate, I met Dave Williams, the head coach, the legendary coach of the University of Houston, uh, just after I had graduated from uh, high school, and uh, someone encouraged me to get before him. They thought I had uh, a lot of untapped ability, and uh, I basically had a tryout in front of the coach at the Woodlands course outside of Houston. And uh, you know, he caught me on a day where I was hitting it you know, on the club face pretty well, and uh, he watched me play nine holes. He sat in the cart. I carried a bag. I never talked to him. I played like I was on my own. I shot 38, uh, opened with two birdies, and and uh, played the next seven, four over. I thought probably this is all slipping away, but afterwards he said, I want you to be on our golf team. And I wasn't unaccustomed to shooting really good scores back then. So, I mean, I was disappointed being a couple over in front of the legendary coach, but and I, I, I get shoot 
some really, really good stores back then. And uh, uh, anyway, it was good enough for him to invite me to be on the team. What a t- what a program that was too, Jimmy. You had you know on the heels of what Keith Fergus and Bill Rogers and all that, and then you're rooming with uh, Freddie and Blaine and that whole bunch. Yeah, and a guy named John Horn from Plainview, Texas, who was a very very decorated recruit. And uh, we the the the, school, the the program had won the national championship in the spring before we came in, uh, which was the 13th of 16 national championships for Houston and Dave Williams. And, uh, you know, I was one of seven freshmen, and uh, there were only three of them were on partial scholarships. No one got a full ride, not even Freddie. And uh, I was one of four technically walk-ons, but you're kind of a recruited walk-on. And, uh, you know, I, we just played golf every day, went to class every day, studied at night, had to turn in a scorecard every day, Tom. Uh, and I just was hoping that perhaps – being around more accomplished players, my game would rise to the occasion, and it truly didn't. I mean, I think that people here, I was on the Houston golf team, and I was, and I lettered one year, but I was really out of my class when it came to the talent level that surrounded me there. Well, did you and Freddie really practice the uh, Masters Award Ceremony in the dorm room? Well, that's not a a make-believe story. I mean, uh, you know, technically I was in a four-person suite, which sounds a lot fancier than it was, but it was two bedrooms with an adjoining bath. And I was in the room with Blaine, and Freddie and John Horn were in the other bedroom, and so the four of us were the best of pals. And, you know, I was always obsessing about one day wanting to work for CBS and I wanted to be a part of that CBS golf team, and I, I got some early work in my college days for a local radio station, and I would come back, and I had my little tape deck that I had you know, interviewed some of the star athletes who came through Houston. I get press passes to go to a Houston Astros game or the Houston Oilers or the Rockets, and, and I would you know, interview these guys, and I bring it back to the dorm room after I had edited these into sound bites for the anchors at our CBS radio affiliate there, and uh, guys were just mesmerized. They couldn't believe that I was up close talking to whether it be uh, Earl Campbell or Dan Pastorini or uh, Moses Malone or Rick Barry or any number of uh, Houston Astros players. They listened to all the cuts, and then we would kind of take the little microphone and we would play act like uh, I was interviewing them. And... uh, (laughs) And the scene for Fred was always the same. Butler cabin, green jacket, I'm there for CBS, and he's just won the Masters Tournament. Funny how that came out to work out, and we'll touch on that later. But you, during your time with CBS and golf, you've gotten to spend some time. We talked about Ken Venturi and Pat Summerall, two of the greats. What, what would you say, Jimmy, that you've soaked up from them or you learned from them being around them all those years? Well, obviously, Pat. Pat's role is what it was what my role is today. You know, he was the anchor. Uh, he was the play-by-play voice of the NFL, and both of those happen to be uh, assignments that I carry today. And Pat was a profound professional influence on me and a dear friend. And uh, although our styles probably, I mean, I'm not into rating or trying to describe whatever my style is. I do. I broadcast the way it, it, it feels naturally to me, but to watch Pat Summerall and his economy of words and his ability to capture a moment so succinctly 
uh, and the way that he used his voice, the way he would intone a certain moment. You know, he was never one of these go go crazy, over the top, scream his head off kind of an announcer. You know, he was he he had uh, real gravitas just with his deep voice and his inflections. It was a command, and it was authentic. It came off as real, not trying to make his call bigger than the moment that was happening. You think of this, this man was broadcasting 18 Super Bowls in his career. Very understated. I, I just uh, absolutely you know, worship being with Pat and the way that he called events. Uh, that He was part of that brigade of announcers from my youth that I always think back to when when I'm facing a big big event and I'm thinking about how it should sound, what it should feel like, and you know Pat's hugely influential on my life because I got to work with him for ten years and uh, spent a lot of time with him. We talk about on the air. Uh, you mentioned earlier with Ken Venturi all those years up in the booth. Let me tell you, all the years away from the booth with Ken. Those are my memories. I mean, certainly I have memories of being his broadcast partner, but the hundreds of dinners and the rounds of golf and the trips to each other's homes. And, you know, that's the Ken that, you know, I, I really knew and miss. And he, he was, of course, an analyst. And uh, Nick Faldo is in that seat today and does a great job. And, uh, you know, Kenny just... Uh, he taught me a lot about uh, the elegance with which he presented himself off the air, going out to dinner, appreciating, uh, you know, a, a, a great restaurant, uh, always wearing a jacket. Frank Sinatra music, you know, as uh, as uh, background music and and uh, politeness with which he would treat people that approached him. Uh, how exceptionally nice he was. To to uh, as a gentleman in the presence of of just complete strangers, you know, making people feel special, men and women, making you know, making everyone feel uh, really really special. He had a gift for that. Jim, you mentioned your style, and you said you're not really going to grade it or whatever. What I've noticed is if you're whether you're working with Phil Sims in football or. Clark Kellogg, Billy Packer, or, Vin, or Mr. Venturi, or Faldo, or you've got Faraday and McCord quipping in the background. Your style is a very comfortable style. You just like your 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 people feel very welcome around you. Is is that something you've had the whole life, or is it was that been a learned uh, learned trait that you've developed over time? Well, I, I really think that uh, I just try to be myself. I'm a huge sports fan, so when I'm on the air, hopefully. That's coming through my interest level and in being at that event. I often say, Tom, if I wasn't broadcasting these events, I know that if I if I did something else for a living, I would be home watching these very same events. So, you know, to have a chance to, you know, one weekend call the Memorial Tournament, you know, I would be watching the Memorial Tournament. Right. It just so happens, you know, CBS is asking me to fly to Columbus, Ohio, sit in a tower behind the 18th green with, with not only – Nick this weekend, but Jack Nicholas as well, and watch a golf tournament. I mean, I can't believe how fortunate I am. 
I remember going up to the legendary Frank Sherkinian after my first or second golf broadcast back in 1986. And I was really concerned about it. I mean, I didn't have uh, the experience to to really feel like maybe I'm approaching it the right way or this is the way you, you know, this is the, this, this, this is the way that you, you, you cover a, a moment in front of you. And I, I said to Mr. Cherkini, I said, Frank, I, I would love to, I actually called him Mr. Cherkini, and I'd love to have your input on, like, what should I be doing as far as the style? And he, he said, I will tell you one thing. Jimmy, don't ever bring up style again with me. You are who you are. That's how you got to the network. And you just go out there and be yourself. So I think since that conversation in 1986 until this conversation today, I've never talked about style. And I brought it up. Um, and I realized as soon as I went there, you know, I had Frank Turkinian flashing in my head. <laughs> so I don't really deal with it too much. I, I, I certainly am prepared. I don't just walk into the booth and just start talking. I, I, the backbone of it all, the foundation of it all, is just very deep preparation. Knowing the stories, knowing the subjects you're covering, and trying to make these subjects interesting. Because it's their event. They're the stars of the event. People are not watching these events because I'm doing it. Uh, maybe there's some people that have some misplaced value on their own worth when they show up in the booth for a sporting event, who want to make that event about them. But I can tell you right now, that has never been a thought in my head. And I'm sure it wasn't for Pat Summerall or Jack Whitaker or Chris Shankle or Keith Jackson, Dick Emberg, Kurt Gowdy, Jim McKay. None of these men ever made themselves bigger than the event. They did not try to overshadow it. And, uh, you know, I can promise you I never will either. Jim Nance joining us today on Golf Better. Jimmy, I asked Ken Venturi when he was on with us to give him a few, uh, just a couple of dates and a moment, and uh, tell me what first thing that came to his mind. I want if you do the same with me. I'll bring up the first sure. one. 1986 Jack Nicklaus Masters victory. Well, I was mortified uh, that I was going to make a mistake, and that the moment was just too big for me to be able to handle. I was 26 years old. That was April the 13th. 1986, and Mr. Cherkinian entrusted me with the 16th Tower, which was a pretty weighty assignment for a, for a young kid. Uh, I, I, now that I'm 54, I, I really can't believe that the network would, would actually dare to put a 26-year-old on one of the last holes at Augusta, but uh, I'll never forget the whole day. I mean, it's uh, it, it, it truly is... Uh, a moment that I that I get asked about quite often, and I think about it as well on my own. You know, I can remember Jack making a pivotal birdie at 16, and I I was just trying to make sure I was extremely spare. I did not overtalk it, and I uttered a phrase that the bear has come out of hibernation. And I wasn't sure when it left my lips where that line had come from. I had not pre-planned it, and uh, I, I thought, yeah, maybe someone else had already said that on the broadcast. Because at Augusta, we have announcers from the 10th Tower, 10th hole on end. By the time you get to 16, there's been a lot of commentary about the player that's at 16. They've already been covered for five or six holes. And I thought, maybe I just recycled somebody else's comment. Turns out afterwards that Frank came up and said, Jimmy, great line, kids. You know, welcome to the team. 
Ends up you could copy you could copyright that line now. No one would use yeah, it. Yeah, it turns out thankfully no one else had used that line and it just dropped out of the sky and uh, and I uttered it. Uh, and, and of course I had that that fateful meeting with with uh, Ken Venturi on the way back to the compound after the broadcast ended. I was walking back from 16 and Kenny raced up in a golf cart, pulled up and said, uh, "Jump in, kid. Uh, you going back to the compound?" And I said, "Yes, sir." And he said. How old are you, Jimmy? And I said, I'm 26, sir. He said, uh, I'm going to make a prediction, which was really a defining moment in my career. He said, uh, I predict one day you're going to be the first commentator to ever say they broadcast 50 Masters. And I thought, my gosh, I've just done my first. I'm hoping to get back for my second. At least he sees a modicum of talent to where he thinks I can be back for, for 50 of these total. And he said, but I can tell you this, you'll never live to see a day greater than this around Augusta National. That was his point, really, was it was the greatest day ever at Augusta. Now, you may be here for a half a century, but you'll never top this one. And, uh, you know, he kind of at that very point defined my, you know, what my goals in my career would be. And that, and that still holds true to, to work with the Masters. Let me ask you a couple more. 1997, Tiger Woods, 18 under par, just rocks the house. Well, he went into the final round with, with such a huge lead. You know, you knew that he was going to win it. And, uh, and I, it, it's, a, it's not an easy broadcast to do when someone's running away with an event. And in that case, you know, the, the, the cameras barely left Tiger. It was such a huge story. It transcended the sport. Uh, and I, I knew that at the very end, that when he put it out at the 72nd hole, that clip was going to outlive us all. They'll be playing it back 250 years from now when some lucky fella gets the chance to do the opening tease to the, to the Masters broadcast that year. And they'll be going through the, the, the history of the Masters. That clip is going to be on there. And whatever the accompanying narration uh, with it is going to probably be played as well. So I knew it had to be short, and I knew it had to be memorable. So, you know, a lot of people want to make a big deal about me pre-planning some of these lines. The great majority of the time, it's a reactionary uh, occasion. But on April the 13th, by the way, again, uh, that was the date that Tiger won in 97, uh, I-, I went into that one knowing that... Uh, Barring some unforeseen, you know, sloppy finish by Tiger where he three putted at 18 or just tapped it in. If he made a putt of any length, I was going to call it a win for the ages. And, uh, alas, that's what it was. And, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, gosh, it, it's, it's hard to believe it's that many years down the road now. You know, that's it's a long time ago. Yeah. Let me ask you two more. Phil Mickelson in 04 is first major. Love seeing him break through. I, I feel for the athlete that gets rocked continuously by the same questions. And, and the fact that he had never won a major up to that point, he got asked about it every single week he played on tour. He could be in Hartford, and, and a writer for the Hartford Current would ask him that question. When are you going to win a major? How hard is it for you not to have won a major? Then he'd go off to the next stop, you know, maybe Akron, Ohio. He could ask the same thing from, uh, you know, the, the Plain Dealer or the Akron Beacon Journal. Or, I'm just using an example. It just, it dogged him all the time. And, you know, you thought, man, you know, that could really crush the spirit of a guy. 
And, and, uh, of course he comes out and, and makes a very memorable putt on the, on the 72nd green. That was one of those examples where I had no idea what I was going to say. I didn't even know what I had said until after the broadcast. Someone told me, but as the ball was tracking to the hole, I said something about, uh, is it his time? And the ball barely curled in. It, it hit the low side of the cup and, uh, did about a quarter of a lap around the cup and fell, and I said yes at long last. And it was a, you know, really a joyful scene. I think there were a lot of people that were thrilled to see Phil, who's been very generous to the game and to his fans. You know, I, I get the front row seat to watch these players and how they conduct themselves with their fans. And I, you know, Phil is definitely first team all PGA Tour when it comes to being generous in the giving back department with the interaction with the, with the fans. Last one, Jimmy. I think you know where I'm going with this one. 1992. Uh, April the 12th, 1992. Butler Cabin. <laughs> Give us the, the, the logistics behind Butler Cabin because you're in there. Did you see each other before? Because they're coming in on stage left, I believe. You're with the chairman as the camera comes on. Tell us how all that went about and what was, what was going on. Well, I'll back it up a week, Tom. The week before uh, – the Masters, the final four was in uh, Minneapolis, and Fred and Blaine McAllister both came up to the Saturday semifinals one weekend before the Masters. Fred was at this point ranked number one in the world. He'd already run away from the field at Bay Hill. He'd won in L.A., and they worked as runners, if you will, for not only myself, but for Billy Packer as well. So they had credentials, and they were off getting us stats and, you know, go get us a Coca-Cola, go get us some popcorn, Whatever it, it, they they carried my briefcase to the arena, you know, all in you know mock security, you know, like hey folks, move aside, hold on, you know, it's just a bunch of college buddies having a good time, and uh, we talked about it there in Minneapolis that you know this is it's just your time, you know, the next next week I think it's going to happen. Doggone it, we've rehearsed it enough times. Let's go do it, you know. So uh, he didn't stick around for the Monday championship. He went on down to get you know his practice rounds in at Augusta. And then I saw him Friday in Butler Cabin after his second round. We brought him in to tape an interview for the late night show. And, uh, he was, you know, he was in, in prime position. And, uh, I think his badge number that week, which is the bib number that the caddy wears at Augusta, show the top, of course, in this case, I think it was number 70. And I said, if you go shoot your badge number, which is the player contestant badge number. If you go shoot, this is off the air. If you go shoot your badge number the next two days, I will see you in here Sunday afternoon, as we've long expected and anticipated. And I think he shot 70-71, as it turns out, you know, to beat Ray Floyd by a couple. And uh, as he's coming down the stretch on Sunday, I I was nervous. I was nervous for him. And I was also nervous for myself, I'm not going to lie, because I was concerned whether emotionally I could hold it together. I, I just thought it, it could get, uh, it, it, it could get a little tough to, to, to go through the green jacket ceremony if, if, uh, you know, we started kind of breaking down and getting emotional about it. And I can remember when Fred was playing the 17th hole, Ben Wright brought me in. Uh, and asked me a question. She had an answer down there in Butler Cabin. 
You've been dreaming of this day, you and Fred, for a long time. What are you feeling right now? And I've never gone back to listen to this part of the broadcast, but I know my answer was uh, very choppy and uneven and wasn't very smooth. Uh, it didn't probably come off as a very cogent thought. And uh, once you know Ben picked up the call, the commentary, I kind of had a little moment with myself where, hey, you, you got to get your act together here. That was that that wasn't the way you want to present yourself. <laughs> I can remember giving myself a little talking to. Anyway, he comes into the cabin. Jack Stevens was the was the uh, the chairman of the club, and Ian Wooson was there to present the jacket as the previous year's winner. And uh, basically, the minute he came into the cabin, he never looked at me. He looked away the whole time. Because as we saw at the World uh, Golf Hall of Fame induction, when Fred gets emotional, it's tough. He's no different than anybody. And there's a lot more there than than people really know. He's got a lot of pent-up, real great feelings for people and for, for moments. And, uh, you know, I just did the interview, Tom, straightforward about the, about the way he had played until the last question, which I made it personal. And I talked about back in our dorm room how we'd always talked about this moment. And I rattled off some of the names of some of our buddies from school there, including Lane and, and uh John Horn and Paul Marchand, who's been an instructor for almost his entire career. And uh, Fred shielded his eyes because he couldn't look at me. And, uh, and uh, alas, uh, it was time for the, for the green jacket. And uh, we went off the air with the two of us hugging and crying. And, uh, you know, it was very special. And, and I felt like uh, after that, it'd be hard to ever top that moment for me in terms of broadcasting. You know, you get one of your closest pals wins the, wins the green jacket. You rehearsed it in college. You both have lived out your dream. He's there doing what he wanted to do. Same for me. Uh, and it strengthened me as a, as a broadcaster because, uh, you know, we got through that, we got through that live. You know, no, there's, there is no safety net there. There's no one else to step in if the, if the situation's getting a little sloppy or you're unable to kind of, finish it you have to and uh it was just a wonderful wonderful moment between two buddies well the whole world got to see it and uh, got to feel it and experience it and it was uh it was a tremendous time and something that can never be repeated obviously jimmy let me ask you one last question you've hosted obviously super bowl final four masters the only man to do all three of those if you have one a bucket list. What's on it? I mean, because you just said this is the coolest thing in the world. You're going to Memorial right now. I'm going to be up there with Nick and Jack, uh, Jack Nicholas. What, what have you not done that maybe you would like to do? There's not a sporting event that I want to do that I've never done. Sure, I'd like to be able to say one day that I, I did the U.S. Open, but that's not realistic to think. NBC has it. NBC does a great job. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not going to go anywhere, that event. You know, for years I used to say the uh, Open Championship. I really wanted to to be a part of that. And thankfully, uh, I went to the Open at Turnberry in 09. And my, my wife uh, had a, a great career working as vice president at IMG. And one of the many things that she handled there was... Uh, worldwide relationships with the RNA. So she had a big golf background and was a very uh, respected part of the RNA family. And 
you know, that helped bridge through some relationships a chance for me to get uh, on the air with the BBC. I made a cameo at the 09 Open Championship, and it turned into a more uh, extensive role in 2010. And in 2011, I did a, a lot of commentary at the Open Championship. But that was a thrill to, to be the lone American on the uh, BBC broadcast, to be working with uh, a great group of people over there, uh, spearheaded by Peter Alice on the air and a wonderful producer named Paul Davies behind the scenes. I, I, that, that was, that's a big-time bucket list thing for me, and, and it, you know, we checked it off. I, I'll say this. I, I, I was going to go back and do it again this year, and some things came up, and this being a Super Bowl year, and I have very few weekends off. Uh, we're not going to go back this year, but I look forward to doing that again someday. I love that, being on the air with the BBC at the Open. Other than that, Tom, really, it's about the number of years I do it. You know, I still want to do, as Mr. Venturi set out for me, set course on 50 Masters. I'm 28 years through it, hoping that the the pace of it slows down. It's all happening too fast, too quickly. Uh, I've called now, been a part of five Super Bowl broadcasts, and that's a big deal. You know, we got Super Bowl 50 on our air in a few years. It's going to be a thrill to have that milestone. Uh, Super Bowl. So, you know, I, I, I count my blessings. I, I, I don't want to be greedy. I've had some wonderful chances and, you know, nowhere to sell my birth certificate that I was born entitled to do these events. You know, through a lot of hard work, some fortunate breaks, and, uh, you know, some great teammates, I, you know, I've been able to do all of these things for a long, long time. And I want to do it for a while longer. You know, I really do. I love it. I, I've never lost the, the passion for it. And uh, it's just every week, it's the cliche that you pinch yourself, but it's pretty close to that. That's what it feels like. I mean, I love, I love the job and the life that I have, and I, and I'm just so grateful. My my heart is filled with gratitude. You know, it's likewise here, Jim. We're thankful for uh, the time you spent with us today, and 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 what you bring to us each week when we see you, and also what you've done for us in the past. I don't know if you remember. A, a tribute to Edwin Watts himself a few years ago that Titleist did. You did the voiceover for that, and that's another uh, another one of those Niagara Falls tear tear jerking moments. Absolutely fantastic. Just some final thoughts from you to our golfing listeners. Well, it's the greatest sport of all. I really believe that. Uh, I'm sorry that uh, we didn't have uh, some proud moments here recently with this spat between Tiger and and Sergio, but the game is uh, is one that gives back, and uh, I'm proud to be associated with the sport. Very, very proud to be uh, there to tell the story about the game. A lot of people on the outside don't get it. They don't understand what the attraction is, and uh, they don't understand the uh, the wonderful virtues that the sport really represents they maybe don't get the fact that our top players our Tigers and Sergio's and Phil Mickelson's and Rory McIlroy's they do a lot for other people they're givers it's a sport of giving and uh, I, I, I like being around that I, I like I said I, I get the best access to the, what the game represents and uh, the people that don't understand golf I, I you know I try my best to convince them but, you know, I've been exposed to them all, you know, all these various sports that CBS has put me in position to be able to broadcast and witness. 
And golf, uh, as a sport, uh, has a very good story to tell. And uh, I just hope we can get more and more people involved uh, because uh, when you're around this game, I think good things happen. Good things happen for a lot of people. And I know that's definitely true in my case. Jim Nance from the bottom of our hearts here at Edwin Watts Golf. Thanks so much. Tom, it's been a pleasure. And I do remember that tribute uh, that we did a few years ago. And uh, thanks for having me on and letting me rattle on here and reminisce. It's been fun. It's a great way to start my weekend. Thank you, Tom. Well, they don't get much better than that. One of the, Again, one of the true gentlemen in the business of broadcasting and athletics, Jim Nance, joining us on his way to the airport to uh, catch a flight to head up to Memorial. Like he said, he is, uh, he's truly blessed and truly thankful. And uh, we are thankful, too. Thankful to Jim for coming on and to our friends at Titleist Golf for putting that whole thing together. And also to you, our listeners. And make sure to join us next time when we have another episode of Golf Better at EdwardWattsGolf.com. So long, everyone.